What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast brought to you by discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and today's episode features real-life ministries sharing their process with us about what it looks like to do relational discipleship in foreign countries. They talk about how the Holy Spirit has been so faithful in guiding and helping them along the way. And this is a continued conversation about discipleship-focused missions from the track sessions from last year's forum. So if you want to hear the first part, make sure you skip back an episode and check that one out before moving forward. All right, let's hear from Dave and Janelle Campbell from Real Life Ministries. Enjoy the episode. I just want to introduce my wife, Janelle. Uh, myself, I'm Dave. Uh, how many were not in yesterday's session? Okay. So we're going to let the rest of the people explain to you what we were doing there. So, uh, <laughs> We gave a brief introduction. I'm the International Discipleship Pastor for uh, Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho. And if you're familiar with, with Pastor Jim Putman, he's our founding pastor. He's one of the speakers that spoke from the main stage yesterday. Uh, he'll be here for sessions three and four in this room. And and he's, uh, he's just amazing. So I hope you get a chance to hear him in this context speaking about discipleship-focused missions. Um, Janelle told about our family yesterday, so we'll do the quiz for you guys. How many remember how many kids we have? Eleven. 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 Very good. Thirty grandchildren. Excellent. So. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. And the, the the oldest grandchildren are getting into their 20, 21, 18, 19, So the great grandchildren are going to be coming. Yes. We're going to lose count there. But what else do you want to say? I she want to lo- leave a lot of room she, for you to say. Oh, that's so nice. She loves it when I put her on the spot, and she loves to speak up front, right? <laughs> well, I'll just give you one question you can share. Like, um, we did mission work. So we both came to know the Lord in our 30s, uh, and then almost immediately uh, we got involved in youth ministry and worked in uh, as a youth pastor and worked in youth ministry together for for a few years. And then it became youth and missions. And then we started the, the missions ministry just kind of took off. And so we, we had about 12 years where we did missions ministry in Mexico, kind of going back and forth from our home in North Idaho to Mexico and back, stay two months down there, come back for a month, work with getting churches ready to go down. So we did that. And then uh, the last three years of our ministry time in Mexico, we had found real life gotten that the uh, the picture of Jesus model of discipleship started to take that down to churches in Mexico and became real life members and then eventually on staff at real life and that was about 12 years ago but maybe just talk about what what are some of the biggest changes that you have seen from the time before real life and the time since we've been doing the missions with real life for our ministry we've become much more intentional Intentional about um, making sure that discipleship is at the center of everything that we do, and that we did. We kind of we did a lot of things like you know feeding people or or helping with children's activities. But uh, once we kind of learned the focus of real life, we realized how important it was, and that it was our our great commission to spread you know make disciples, be a disciple, and make disciples. So. Everything got filtered through that lens, and everything seemed to kind of explode. Like it had much more fruit, much more meaning, and it was more about the people than the task. Uh, so yesterday we talked about the, the why. Why would we do discipleship-focused international missions? Why would that be our number one focus? And we looked at the Great Commission Anything out of that that you guys remember or that struck you from yesterday about um, about why we would do discipleship-focused international missions? What were your thoughts? One thing is that the other stuff is really good stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but the reality is we need to focus on making disciples, and then our disciples will actually do that other stuff. Awesome. So I was reflecting yeah. on that, and that is so important. Mm-hmm. If we can get our people to be doing that other, well, we don't have to. Actually, I know they do it on themselves, really. But if we can encourage that, 
Yeah. That's really helpful. Excellent. Thank you. So that if we keep this as the number one thing that actually will strengthen the local church, the local church will then be able to reach out in the community and do many of the, the, the bridging and the tasks and the blessings of the community that we've kind of sometimes taken upon ourselves as missionaries to do because they need it. So this is, is a way of strengthening the local church to be able to do that. All right. And following on to that, Dave, you said yesterday something that our church has really been focused on the last five years of um, helping ministries in countries that we partner with become independent and and instead of dependent on us always supplying and making them dependent. That's good. And so that coupled with the focus on discipleship and then being Jesus to feed and clothe and do all those things after we've nourished Yeah, so things that will lead to them becoming independent rather than dependent because we know if they're dependent on us to do those things, then that's very limiting. You know, it doesn't help them grow as much, but also it's like, how much can we do? But if they become the ones that are strong and able to do it, then that can multiply. And because it doesn't require us each time we start a new equation, you know, each time we're going to help a church, that's we have a limited bandwidth, a limited number of resources. But if they can begin to do it, one of the things that we didn't mention yesterday, but it was true for us in Mexico is we love the people of Mexico. And, and one of the things as we started to minister there was they are so joyful. And I know you see this in other places in the midst of what we would call poverty, right? They're so joyful. Yet, as we started our ministry, we're like, man, we love these people. They're wonderful. We want to help them. But in our minds, it was, we want, you know, they don't have good water. They don't have good housing. They don't have, they don't have, they don't have that. And so as we started to help them, we actually saw that that lessened their joy. And we were, in, in effect, we we're kind of turning them into the American mindset and we started to realize, like, oh, that the mindset they had before was better than the American mindset. So why would we want to make them into us, so to speak? Yeah. Uh, the main reason, I would say the main reason that we do discipleship-focused international missions. Anybody want to? We should have brought the candy down here so we could give out prizes. <laughs> anybody want to take a shot at that? The main reason why we do it. It's biblical. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and other spots too, but that's our kind of our, our theme scripture is Jesus gave that commission, that command, go and make disciples. Jim, our senior pastor, likes to say, Jesus never said go and make converts. He said go and make disciples. And we talked yesterday about what does that look like and, and that actually God defines what a disciple looks like. And so we need to follow that. We go and we are discipleship focused because that was our commission. That's our marching orders. And to be really discipleship focused, we need to define disciple the way that God defines it, not my my way. So maybe if you put up here, one of the scriptures we looked at yesterday uh, that we'll build off of today, uh, Matthew 4.19, where Jesus is inviting people to be his disciples, and he tells them, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And if you've read any of of Jim's or real life stuff, that's a key scripture for us where we say, in the invitation is a definition. As he's inviting people to be disciples, he's kind of telling them what that's going to look like. And and so maybe just put uh, follow. You say, first you're going to follow me. You're going to see what I do. Be with me. It's a relationship. And then changed, he says, you know, those little keywords, very important. I will make you. So when he says, I will make you, he's, he's indicating, I'm going to take you where you're at, and I'm going to transform or change you into something else. You're not going not gonna to just be the same. Follow me, and I will make you. And then fishers of men, in our language, we say, on mission, on mission with Jesus. So a disciple is a follower who's being transformed and is also participating in the work of the kingdom. 
And that just makes total sense, doesn't it? That if we're producing disciples, that the churches that are being and making disciples are going to be stronger churches. And they're able to multiply. Because part of the expectation of being a disciple of Jesus, one, is to become more like him, but two, it's to reproduce. Like that's, uh, sometimes we can separate out words like evangelism, discipleship, being a disciple, making disciples. And that's okay. It's fine to, you know, punch down on some of those things. But actually in the process that we see in, in Scripture, it's all one thing. Could, you know, being a, Evangelism is the first step of becoming a disciple. And then being a disciple is be, being transformed, becoming more like Jesus. Making disciples isn't some separate ministry. It's part of being a disciple. And so once I was lost, now I know Jesus, I'm following Jesus. Part of the process of following is that I'm going to reproduce, if that's making sense. So looking at the why, those are some of our key scriptures. Uh, the Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that's our foundational motivation for having discipleship-focused missions. And we talked yesterday, too, a little bit about most in our experience, uh, just speaking for ourselves, you know, we started this, uh, we started our our international ministry in Mexico, but now with real life, we're in about 40 different countries, and they range from several countries in Africa, uh, Europe, Asia, um, South Pacific, Hispanic countries. So it's a pretty, you know, it's not just one certain part of the world, it's a pretty broad spectrum, and we would say, the pastors we run into, the churches we run into, the pastors we run into, many of them have that feeling of, we know we're supposed to be and make disciples. We want to do it. We've tried to do it. It's not working as well as we feel it should. And so that's our what we'll see today, the what we do in order to help them. How do we come alongside them? What do we do with them in order to help the local church in whatever country we're working in to become a disciple-making church. Uh, and we're going to hit today, uh, in this one we'll hit the, what are we talking about when we say discipleship-focused missions? We'll hit the what, and then in the other sessions we'll hit these two. Uh, I, I want to read a passage a little bit slowly, uh, if you want to write up there, Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, a passage you're all going to be familiar with. But it's, some you know look put on the discipleship lens if you would as we read this scripture uh, think of it in terms of the local church and discipleship so paul's writing to the, the church in ephesus and he starts in verse 11 he's referring to jesus if you read you know if we read above that we'll understand that it says and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. We all know this scripture, right? So it's saying Jesus, it's Jesus' church. Uh, scripture tells us the church is his body. So as Jesus went to sit at the right hand of the Father until he comes back, he left an organization that he founded on earth. We call it the church, the body of Christ to do his work, Right? Uh, and that is to, as our, as our commission is in Matthew 28, we're to go and make disciples in, of all the nations. So as Jim would say, you can plant a church and you might get some disciples. But if you plant disciples, you can get a church. So he says he gave some leaders and, and named some of the roles in the church there. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So just, again, keeping this context in mind that if we want to have, if, if we believe we should have discipleship-focused missions internationally, that the local church, wherever we're working, the purpose is to do the work of Christ. And, and Jesus formed it with leaders, and the leader's job is what? Uh, train, train, equip the saints, equip the believers for the work of the ministry or work of service 
to the building up of the body of Christ. This is an important part there. To the building up of the body of Christ. So it's saying, if I'm a local leader, pastor, teacher, and I'm equipping the members of my church, they can do the work of the ministry. But it's also for the building up of the body. Who's the body? The church. So it's saying, rather than the pastor and the leaders doing all the work, the body will actually be doing the work and the body will be building itself up. So now, remember this pastor that we're working with who's a little frustrated, a little tired, a little confused because he's not seeing the fruit that he wants to see. Now, if he had leaders in his, him and his leaders were equipping the saints and they were doing the work of the ministry and they were actually building the body up, How's that pastor going to feel? What, what difference is that going to make in his ministry, right? Then going on, it says, so this keeps happening, this equipping, serving, building up, until we all attain a unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. There's a lot in that verse. But it's basically saying we keep this process going that Jesus instituted until we become mature in Christ, we become more Christ-like, we become more united, uh, we become stronger. And again, think of this pastor. When he sees his church now growing up to be, the people are growing up to be more Christ-like, instead of division, there's unity. Again, what's that pastor going to be experiencing and feel? What's the body going to be feeling? You know, this is not, I would say, in my experience around the world, this description is not typically how the church is functioning. You know, we don't say, oh, yeah, all the churches I work with, that they're doing this stuff. And they have unity and not division and the members, are, you know, we don't see it typically, but this is the template. This is the model. So in discipleship-focused missions, this is what we're trying to help the pastor and leaders of a church be able to do. Just keep going for a couple more verses. As a result, a result of what? As a result of the equipping, the, the, the members doing the work of service, the, the uh, body strengthening itself. I mean, just think of that concept. That means the pastor doesn't have to strengthen 72 people. The body itself is ministering to each other to help strengthen. People maturing, unity, becoming more like Jesus. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, bless you, and by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So what's that saying? If we do this, and as it keeps happening, we're not going to have unsound doctrine in the church. We're not going to have confusion and people drifting off of Scripture. We're going to uh, no longer be like children. We're going to be on the rock. But instead of, instead of being all confused and drifting and, and blown about by every wind of doctrine and the trickery of men, I mean, that's kind of a description of what's going on in our world today, right? Unsound doctrine, the culture of the world trying to push the culture of the church off the rock. So instead of this, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. What's that saying? Instead of being all wishy-washy that we are to be doing this process and grow up to become mature like Jesus. So imagine this pastor now with his 72 people and they're on this path of maturity. Instead of feeling like for 10 years he's been tending a, a daycare, he now is in charge of an army of, of strong disciples that can multiply and disciple others. Uh, so grow up to be like Jesus, from whom the whole body, the whole church, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual. So each member of the church has his job, giftings, talents, um, callings, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It's a beautiful process, isn't it? But I believe it's a discipleship process that's being described here. Uh, so how many of our churches are functioning that way? And, and this is what, this is the what that, that we take at real life as our international mission. The what 
is to be discipleship focused. So 16 mm -hmm. is to help help churches around the world become like that and produce not just converts, but maturing disciples of Jesus that can multiply and do the work of the ministry. And that's the way it was designed to happen, right? So, so pastors might need help with some things, you know, but by and large, most pastors are pretty good at preaching. You know, they've got some gifts. That's why they're pastors. But so many of them don't have this concept of biblical discipleship. So what, what I'm going to share next for the next little while is, is how real life has addressed this in international <clears throat> missions. And what I don't want to do is say, so this is what you've got to do. But what I want to say is this is how we addressed it. And take a look at it. Is there a piece you can use out of this? Something that makes sense? Is there something that's helpful? Put it in your context. Um, you know, if there's anything useful, if you have questions about it. But So as we wrestled with this, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in the next session uh, when we talk about how, how to put it into practice. But when we wrestled with it, when we came on staff at Real Life, Real Life really wasn't discipleship-focused internationally. We were discipleship-focused everywhere else, but not internationally. So we had to decide, okay, what are we going to do? So we, we in the course of a year, year and a half, built a process. And we will, you know, words are important. And, and we would we would go to war a little bit over this. We never called discipleship a program because we don't believe it's a program, but we believe it's a way of life. It's a way of being. Uh, but there is a process, just like Jesus laid out in, you know, he laid out a process in Ephesians four eleven through sixteen of how the body is supposed to work. So what we said and what we kind of came to the conclusion that real life was. Uh, Discipleship should be the focus. The local church is Jesus created and Jesus designed. It's his, it's his uh, answer to how ministry is supposed to be done around the world. So we are not going to go into a country and try to tell them what to do or found churches or we're not going to send uh, people from Idaho over to Africa to plant churches. And again, I'm just saying how we decided it, not saying that that like would be wrong for everybody to do or whatever. But I just, in our in our way of thinking, it was like, no, there are local churches already in Mexico, in Africa, in Cambodia, in Pakistan. There are pastors trying their best. So our process is going to be to come alongside them and just share with them biblical, what we call biblical relational discipleship. So let, we'll, we'll punch down on that just a little bit. What is biblical discipleship? Teaching them everything that Jesus taught the first disciples. Okay. It's looking at the word and Jesus' model. It's biblical. It's So I didn't invent biblical discipleship. In fact, if I try to change stuff in Jesus' model, chances are about 100% that I'm going to make it worse instead of better. So, so my best bet is to go to the word and Jesus' model and say, that's how we should do discipleship. So that's biblical. Why, why do we say biblical relational discipleship? What does the relational part mean? One-on-one, -on -one, that's part of it. What, what is, why do we put relational in there? So walking with them. Walking with them, yeah, walking with them. So my belief, our belief at Real Life would be that disciple, real discipleship does not take place outside the context of real relationship. So if we think about this, What's the, what's the real meaning of the word disciple? A disciple is a follower. Yeah, think of the Jewish context when Jesus walked the earth. He had disciples, but so did John the Baptist. So did the Pharisees. Other rabbis had disciples. Well, what were those? What, what did disciple mean? It meant someone who said, I have chosen to follow this master, this teacher, and try to become like them. That's discipleship itself is is done in relationship you don't you can't follow a master and try to become like them if you don't even know them or have a relationship with them it's a relational word so real discipleship happens in real relationship 
part of the challenge or problem around the world today is as, as Christians in the world, we have slid away from that definition somewhat or a lot, depending on the, the circumstance, to where we've taken, we've, taken, we've taken both the biblical and the relational parts out of discipleship. In many places, discipleship is a class, and that's all it is, or a book, and that's all it is. And, and again, we're not saying classes are bad. We're not saying books are bad. I mean, we shouldn't because Jim's written like 15 of them, right? So he'll be mad if we say they're bad. But they're a tool that can be used as a part of discipleship. But if, if I'm not following the biblical definition of what a disciple is, and I'm not doing discipleship in relationship, then I'm really not following Jesus' model. That's what I would say. Well, my experience is it only, it only happens one time a week, or maybe if, if you're really spiritual, two times a week. <laughs> right. So it's like it, it yeah. happens through the week and doing activities with them, spending yeah. life with them. This is something I did not experience. This is why right. I'm one for now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, right. Discipleship is a class. No, that can be part. Of, or discipleship happens Sunday for, for an hour and a half or hour and 15 minutes. That's discipleship. You know, we have pastors, not typically international pastors, more in the United States, who some of them will swear that they are discipling all their people by preaching that sermon on Sunday. I'm discipling my people. I give them the word of God on Sunday and they're discipled. But if we look at the biblical model of how Jesus discipled, no. Or some will say, okay, yeah, that's not enough. So we have on Sunday, I preach the message and on Wednesdays or whenever, we have a small group, and there's a teacher in the small group that re-explains my message to the people. So now they're disciple. Well, you know, maybe that helps. Uh, our small groups look a little different than that intentionally, but is that enough? No. Discipleship is a, you know, we looked at some of the scriptures yesterday where God is describing what a disciple is, and it certainly wasn't uh, an hour and a half job uh, each week, right? It was diet itself. Yeah, sacrifice, take up your cross, become more like Jesus, be totally committed. So biblical relational discipleship is our model. So that, this is our thinking is, okay, we're going to follow Jesus' model. Internationally, there are already churches planted in, not everywhere, right? Because there are still unreached areas. So we had to deal with that too. But let's just say, okay, so we're going to, we're going to come across, uh, alongside this pastor in Cambodia, how do we help them in missions? And our conclusion was the best way we could help them is to share in relationship Jesus' model of discipleship with them and to build real relationship with them. And that requires me to be growing as a disciple of Jesus. So I can't just skip to the making because I can I can teach what I know, but I reproduce who I am. So if I'm going to be in relationship with a pastor to help him grow as a disciple, I need to be modeling that growing as a disciple of Jesus myself. Just a question. Uh, you bet. How do you make that relational connection? Yeah. You've got cultural differences. You've got language differences. And for the local pastor in that uh, situation, how does he know that you're authentic? That you're biblically based? Yep. You know all those Great questions. questions. Yeah. yeah. Those are great questions. So one of the answers to that is it takes time. It's not going to happen in one training. In fact, uh, here's here's a, well, it's not going to happen in one training. And it's also, we need to have an ongoing, real relationship. So how do you do that with language barriers, cultural barriers? This is one of the reasons we say, who better to walk this out in Cambodia than the Cambodian pastor? So, because he knows the language, knows the context, knows the culture, but then our task is how do we then, if we don't have to do it with everybody, because he's going to do it, how do we do it with him? So this is how we've uh, approached that challenge at Real Life, is that God has blessed us uh, in that um, our team is only only has capacity right now in two languages, English and Spanish. So if we're going anywhere else, we don't speak the native language. So let's say Cambodia. So we got this Cambodian pastor. So we need to find 
or be led to or connected with a pastor who speaks English. And God has, we have had no trouble finding a pastor who speaks English in any country we've been in who's hungry for discipleship. So then it becomes, okay, how do we build a real relationship with him? One of the keys for us is we're going to invest in a real relationship with this pastor, but not just the pastor. We're going to start with the pastor and his wife. And it's going to be our either myself and my wife or somebody on our team and their wife. Or let's say we have a widow or a widower. We'll put them in a team of three with another couple, but it's going to be with the pastor and his wife. Why would we do that? So the wife needs to be uh, on board. Yeah. The wife needs to be on board. You know, it's not, it's not just going to be, Hey, the pastor's got a thing he's doing and the wife is, is going, Oh, that's great. Uh, I don't understand it. I don't know what it, no, they need to be a team. The wife will have insights, abilities, and gifts that the pastor doesn't have. The wife will have influence and perspectives. It, it, it needs to be a team because we want to reach the whole church, right? Um, also doing it this way, the pastor and his wife will see our marriage. They'll, you know, if we spend enough time with them, they'll, they'll see our real marriage. Uh, vulnerability and transparency are key in establishing this relationship. Think about the relationship Jesus had with his disciples. Life on life, praying together, eating together, spending time together, uh, him having to correct them sometimes, listening to their questions, you know, putting the example out there for them. That's the kind of relationship we have to build with this pastor. So we could move to Pakistan or Cambodia or, or Uganda. We could do that. We could move there. But we have chosen at Real Life not to permanently send missionaries into a country, but rather to have a team that's still based in Post Falls. And what we would do is we find this, this pastor and uh, – we see that he's open and receptive and hungry for this, and we start to build a relationship. We go over there. So we'll send our couple over there. They'll spend uh, 10 days, two weeks, maybe as things go on. Sometimes they'll even spend up to a month or two. It depends because we have people on our team doing this that are retired, and we have people that are working full-time and have families. So it has to be flexible. Then they begin to communicate, Zoom, uh, you know, emails, texts, WhatsApp, phone calls. And then at some point in time, we bring the pastor and his wife over to Post Falls. They spend some time in our culture. We keep going back over there. We look at these things as a marathon, not a sprint. And this is going to take years of walking. You know, the son of God spent about three years with just 12 people. And so I don't think I could probably do it any faster. I certainly couldn't do it with any more numbers than that. And I want to follow that model as best I can. And we might say, okay, well, Jesus lived with them. You know, he spent 24-7 with them. Do we do that? Most cases, you know, we do that for a little bit of time, but we can't do that all the time. So what we do is we say, whatever time we have with these pastors, we're going to do the kind of things Jesus did in the time he had with his disciples. We're going to walk with them, eat with them, talk with them. We're going to bring them along when we do ministry. We're going to observe them, ask questions, answer questions. So whatever activities that Jesus did with his 12, that's the kind of stuff we want to be doing with these pastors. We're going to pass around a little uh, sheet that kind of describes our process that we use, the what that we use, and we'll just go over it a little bit. So this we call our discipleship pathway. And we have trainings on discipleship and we have coaching on discipleship. And, and we have trainings that I would say that apply to all of us being a disciple. That This is not that. So one of the things we've discovered is that trainings of themselves are of little value. But if they're a part of the process, they can be helpful. It's the life between the trainings that really makes the difference. We call it coaching. But it's really just coming alongside and living life out with a brother and a sister. So the, the navigators use a word, come alongsiders or alongsiders. I like that word probably better than coach. But this, this particular sheet, it describes the, the pathway, not of a necessarily of, hey, this is discipleship and how to do it. But it's this is how do you come alongside a pastor or a leader or an individual? But, but a pastor is a key because... We want to work through the local church. How do you come alongside a pastor 
and help walk that pastor and his church down the pathway of discipleship. So I don't know if I'm being clear there. Like this isn't how to be a disciple of Jesus. This is how to walk alongside a leader to help that leader lead his church down the pathway. So the first thing we have here is seek. That's the first thing on the pathway. Is the pastor open and seeking? Is he at a spot where he's open to to say, hmm, I know it's not quite working right. I'm hungry for more. There's something missing. What's the answer? I've been I've been handed a way of doing church, and I've been doing it the best I can for 12 years, and it's not producing the fruit that I see should be produced. So if they're seeking, if they're hungry, if they're not, it is the rich young ruler, Jesus gave him a great opportunity. He wasn't ready for it yet. So we can't force. We say in any in any relationship like this, discipleship relationship, there's three parts going on. God's part, our part, and the person that's receiving it, their part. And we can only do one of those parts. And so we've got to find a person who's who's hungry and ready. Then the next part we have here is discover. And that is basically helping them discover the biblical truth and model of discipleship. And that may sound very simple, but I guarantee you, I guarantee sure, I guarantee you, based on my experience, I will guarantee that uh, 90-something percent of pastors that are out there in the world have never really seen or understood the biblical model of discipleship. And most of the time, it's not their fault. They were handed a way of doing things or, or taught a way of doing things, received a tradition of how to do things, how to do church, and, and they're just doing that, and they don't know it another way. And it's just like Janelle and I, when we first saw the biblical model, the usual reaction is, you know, like, of course, why didn't we see this before? But really digging into it and, and getting that understanding of, okay, how did Jesus, first of all, how did Jesus be a disciple? Because he's our perfect model for that as well. And then how did he make disciples? Really going to God's picture of that and understanding it, that's the discovery of the process. And then sometimes these happen at the same time, sometimes not, but we have experience it. There's a huge difference from understanding it to experiencing it, to tasting it, to to go, to to taste a relationship that's a real discipleship relationship is completely different from understanding the theory behind it. That makes sense. So we have to help them experience it. How do we do that? Well, we can create training environments where they might be able to get a taste of it. But the real experience comes from building a strong relationship with them and doing it personally. And, and uh, who was it? Uh, Dana? Dana brought up one-on-one. Uh, just as a real quick insert here, we believe that real discipleship only happens in real relationship. But there are many relational environments that we see in the Bible where discipleship was happening. There's, and we, we name them by vehicles just to make them easy to remember. We say the train environment is the local church. It's a bigger environment. But discipleship should be happening there and real relationships. Uh, the, the bus would be an event or a ministry of the church. So, for instance, I'm on the train. I go to the church, the service. But I'm also on the bus because I go to men's ministry or I, I participate in the, in the missions ministry. I'm in a, in a smaller group of the church, but there's relationship there. And then the van would be small group, a group of, say, 12 or so. It's a good number. Somebody came up with that. Um, you know, ish, 12-ish people. There's deeper relationship that can happen there. That was, you know, Jesus used that vehicle all the time, right? And then a car group is maybe uh, we've got a, our small group, and but sometimes the men break out and go do something on their own. The women break out and have some discussions that are, you know, they're able to go deeper by themselves. Or a car group could be, hey, I've got, you know, I've got three guys I'm discipling individually, but I'm going to get them all together once a month for breakfast, and we're going to do this together. But then, uh, then I'm going to go one on one with them during the week. And motorcycle is one on one. So uh, something that's been very helpful to us is to to utilize all those environments and be intentional that discipleship is happening in all of them. So you can you can. How many people have run into churches that have small groups, but the small groups really aren't helping people grow as disciples? 
Okay, pretty much unanimous. So it's not just having them, it's what we do in them. But we also believe it's not good to say, hey, discipleship only happens one-on-one. Well, if that's true, somebody forgot to tell Jesus because he he used 12 a lot, you know. So, or, oh, all we need is small group. Okay, then why did Jesus preach to the multitude? Why did he have conversations with Nicodemus and, and Peter and the woman at the well? Why did he use one-on-one? So we see all those environments in Scripture. And the strongest thing we can do is use them all. So experience it. That takes it from the head level to the heart level. That's where the biggest change we'll see happen if we, we can get people to experience real discipleship. And then the next step is live it. Um, you can apply these to any leader or in your personal life, but right now we're just we're talking about a senior pastor and helping them get their church to be a, a church of disciples who make disciples. Live it is the key, a key area. We never leave that. It, it, so this is a false representation in, in that it's like a trail where you leave one and go on to the other. Actually, you just build on them. So really, you never stop seeking because Janelle and I discovered and, and, and experienced real biblical relational discipleship about 15 years ago, but we're still discovering stuff about it and we're still seeking more. We're still experiencing it. So you just build on them. Live it is, is a key because as the head goes, so goes the body. So here's something that won't work in, in trying to help churches become disciple-making churches. It won't work if the senior pastor comes to a training, hears our stuff, and says, that's good. Here's my discipleship guy. I'm busy, but you work with him, and he'll put that into, into effect in our church. Not going not gonna to bear much fruit. I mean, it might change this guy's life. But the senior pastor, the lead pastor, needs to live it out. And that means, uh, I'll just give you an example. A pastor I work with in Australia, he, he was seeking it. He, he discovered it, experienced it. And as he started to live it out, we were having conversations. Uh, he came over to, to Post Falls first. We went over to Africa. We continued to, you know, to, to Zoom and to WhatsApp and all those things. And in one of these conversations, he's like, so I'm really feeling like if I'm going to ask people in my church to be in a small group and lead a small group, I should do that. And I'm like, that's good. That's good. And then he's like, but I'm way too busy. And so, pause. But I should do it, shouldn't I? Yeah, you really yeah. should. How will I do it? So we talk about what has to come off your plate if you're going to put these things on your plate. And what's the effect if you do this? And what's the effect if you don't? What message are you sending in your church if you're like, you should all be in a small group and you should be leading and we should, you know, but, but I'm too busy. So living it out. And not only the, the doing things, like being in a small group, leading a small group. And by the way, he dove into that, led his first small group, raised up an apprentice, branched that group, raised up an apprentice, branched that group. And he loves it now. Uh, and he wouldn't trade that because it's, it's, you know, it's a life. This is stuff that fills us up rather than drains us out. But um, also on the being side of living it is... Am I actually becoming more like Jesus? So what does that mean? Well, Jesus was loving. Am I becoming more loving? Jesus was patient. Am I becoming more patient? I hope so. I hope it happens faster. But no, Uh, these characteristics of Jesus, if they're not being transformed in my life, then I may understand the program or the concept, but I'm not really living it. So actually... The, the head, anybody who's a disciple, but the, the senior pastor, there needs to be fruit that is evident in his life. Like people need to say, wow, you, you know, I've never seen you this joyful, or I, I, you just seem so much more grace filled or, but you know, you used to struggle with anger, people that, that would know him well, maybe, but now I see that you don't as much that those kind of fruits, the fruits of the spirit need to be evident that's, that's the main part of being, is to be transformed to be more like Jesus. So living it, living it is the basis that we're going to build a disciple-making church on, is that the senior pastor and his wife are going to live this out. Is that making sense? Then lead it. 
Okay, this is a part. Uh, lead it would be, that's when the senior pastor and his wife begin to spread that out. To uh, Now, they, they can talk about it to the whole church, and they should. And they can teach from the Bible about it to the whole church. But the real roots of the movement are going to come life on life. And so that needs to be with a, a small group. We call it a core team. So the pastor and his wife, it, it may be different. You know, they may do some together, but the, past, the pastor's wife might have some people in her core team that the pastor doesn't have some ladies. And so it's a core team of a small number, two, three, four, something very small, where the pastor begins to, to have real relationship with them and to help them, help them go through this same pathway. Take them through just like we took the pastor through. Now, as a, we would call them international discipleship coaches that are doing this. So as the coach gets ready and, and tries to help the pastor do this, basically the coach is saying, the things that I've been doing with you as we go through this, now you, who are you going to start to do it with? Think about your church, pastor. Who are the influencers? Who are the key people that if you do it with them, that they will spread that to others and they have positive influence with others? It might be your staff or it might be your elders or it might be some key ministry leaders. Don't pick all 15 of them. It depends on, this is scalable, so it depends on church size, but make sure it's a small number. Who are your key influencers, pastor? Start to do this process with them. Start to build real relationships. Now, in many international countries, you'll get this reaction. I can't do that. Now, I've done it with you, and it's been wonderful. But you're safe. You're an outsider. You're not in my church every week. You're not going to be, you're for me. You're not going to stab me in the back. But if I start doing that with my people, they'll see I'm not perfect. They'll have ammunition to use against me. I can't do that. That's, and they'll say, <laughs> they'll say, in our culture, we can't do that. Well, we have news for them. Their culture is the same as every culture in the world. You know, oh, no, in Africa, we can't, no, okay. You know, in Mexico, we can't do that. In, in Pakistan, we can't. No, what you're talking about is not culture. They're right. In their culture, that doesn't happen, but it doesn't happen in any culture. You're talking about human nature. So, I don't want to go too long on this, but it's, um, God designed this to have real relationship. When the fall happened, that's what the enemy attacked, right? Uh, he wanted to break relationship between us and God, and he wanted to break, uh, destroy, dampen, impact relationship between us and other. But we're actually designed to have real relationship. Uh, vulnerability is a uh, is the is a is the chemical. What do you call it? Uh, What's the chemical that causes the reactions? It's a catalyst. catalyst, thank you. It's the catalyst. Vulnerability is the catalyst for real relationships. So uh, transparency is good, but I can be transparent with you. I can tell you my views on politics. I can tell you what, what I like about people and what I don't like. I can be honest and transparent, but that's not the same as vulnerable. Vulnerable is when I'm sharing stuff with you that's real in my life that actually you could hurt me if you wanted to, with the knowledge I've given you, that's vulnerable. So the pastor will say, I can't be vulnerable with those people. I would say, so we walk them through that. Yes, you can, you know, be wise, disciple them, build real relationship with them, take it step by step. But just like we did with you, remember when we first met, we weren't sharing the kind of stuff we're sharing now. It's taken us a year to do this. Start that with your people. This is discipleship. So we have to, it has to cross that to where now they're doing it with their people. And that's lead it. So we help them lead it. They're casting vision to the whole church. They're preaching to the whole church, but they're leading it life on life with a small core group. Then reproduce it is when it goes from, from the pastor and his wife to a small core group. And the core group takes it to the next ring out and that, ring, you know, to, it, depending on the size of the church, it's, it's pastor to key core group, to their staff, to key, to key ministry leaders, to volunteers, to members. So it takes time to work this out. But reproduces when this DNA of biblical relational discipleship becomes the DNA of the church. 
So at real life, uh, at, at the mother church right now, about 8,000 people, this is the DNA of the church. But it's not the DNA of all 8,000 of those people. We still have some that are not there yet. And that's good because we want to, you know, you got to have people that are coming along the pathway. Otherwise, you get stagnant. But it becomes the predominant DNA of the church. When Janelle and I first, when she convinced me to go to real life for the first time, we went on a Sunday and my immediate reactions were, hmm, don't like it. Big, noisy, pretty sure they're putting barcodes on your forehead. You have to check in that way. It's probably the sign of the beast. I don't know. You know, get me out of here. I don't like their music either. Uh, well, maybe it wasn't quite that bad, but those were kind of my, my thoughts. But what I saw that was so attractive was something's going on here. Like, it's not just Jim. It's not just the staff. It's, it's like the normal members of the church are doing the work of the ministry and they're being discipled and they're reaching the lost and they're bringing, you know, they're doing it. I've never seen that in a church before. So that was attractive enough for me to overcome the other stuff. It became the DNA of the church. Then last one, multiply. Multiply is when it gets really fun. And hey, after only 10 years of investment, you get to that spot where you're seeing the multiplication. You know, But multiplication is when that senior pastor and that church begin to be able to reach out to other churches and other pastors in their area and community, cross-denominational life. Discipleship is a unifying thing. So they can begin to share with other pastors, just like they brought their people along this pathway. Now it doesn't have to be me sharing it with the other 20 pastors in the town. They'll do it. And they'll send out church planners to plant churches that begin with this DNA because that's the DNA of their church now. So it it becomes a multiplication thing. We have countries where we've been in for five, six years, and it's still in, we're working with a single church. We have countries we've been in seven, eight, nine, ten years where literally, you know, our, our top of the line model, it's gone from one pastor to 18 countries and over a thousand churches. And they're doing it all. We know the names of some of the people involved, but mainly they're just doing it. And we come for trainings once in a while. We keep our relationships up. So it's a marathon, but it's, it produces churches of disciples of Jesus that make more disciples of Jesus. So this is our, our basic process. And again, we know this doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be the exact model for everybody, but our hope is there'd be some useful things in there. Um, so let's use the last few minutes, questions, comments on the, on the what part of it, the why or the what we'll get in next, next sessions to, okay, well, that sounds good, but how in the world would you actually take me from where I am to be able to do that? Or how do you put this process into place? And we'll, we'll talk about, uh, okay, if we believe in the why, we understand the what, and we know how to do it now. Who do we? Who am I looking for to work with in the other countries, and who am I looking for to work with on my team? But for the, the what part, thoughts well, or what, questions? Who's got a question? What's the characteristic of a pastor you would invest your life into? I mean, yeah. how do you know that that person is actually going to be a reproducer? Right. That's a great question. And we'll hit that more in the who, but a short answer. So the question is, uh, how would you know uh, if a pastor is that person that you'd want to invest your life into? Because it is, it's a huge well, it's commitment, expensive. right? Yeah, it's expensive for in, in money, but also time and energy and resources. So for us, I would say you look for the ones that are really seeking you pray for the ones that either are or can be pastors of pastors. Because when you get to multiply stage, you'll need a pastor that's capable of influencing other pastors. And we've seen people become that. We've seen people that started out as that. But another key is you look for the pastor that's willing to live it personally. That's really the, you know, we can invest some time. And when we get to the spot of, Will you live this out personally? If the answer is anything but definitely yes, then you probably don't have the right pastor or not the right timing yet. They're not ready yet. So will they live it out personally? And by live it out personally, we mean, are you ready to have real relationship? 
Are you ready to be transformed and become more like Jesus? Are you ready to share that with people? Are you ready to be and make disciples of Jesus? Kent, what was your question? It was basically that, I think you touched on it, Mike touch more on like you was how do you on the seat where do you find these people how do you sift through bring them it, bring it. Okay. so yes how do you so the question is on seek how do you find the people how do you sift through them so our our model that we will do is as we get some contacts in the country and as we're praying and we think okay looks like germany some stuff is happening god's given us some connections there uh, is there enough momentum there for us to send a scouting trip over a preliminary trip it doesn't have to be a huge from for our team it could be a coaching couple it could be two or three couples a lot of times we'll send a coaching couple and a coach and coaches and training couple so that they can see how it's done but we'll 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 have the contacts we have over there we get to a point where we say okay if you'd like to know more we could come over to your country we can do an introductory training how many pastors and leaders could you gather? And we're not, we're really not interested in big numbers, but let's say they say, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40. Uh, we really don't want to go the first time and, and meet a thousand people because it won't be effective. But if they can get a group together of pastors, we say, and have the pastors bring their wives and have them bring two or three key leaders from their church. So then we come to a country and we do not this, but we do our introductory training on how to be a disciple of Jesus. And we have that to where it's usually, it's a day or two training. Um, ideally it's three, but usually the first time it's going to be a day or two training. And out of that training, we call that seed scattering. And we'll see which pastor and church group is hungry for it, responds. Uh, it looks like they understand that it's got to be lived out, not, you know, what do they say? Uh, uh, training or no, uh, teaching ain't training. So not just taught, but lived. And that's where we'll identify, you know, maybe one or two. And I would say in, in our process, we probably have maybe a 50% success rate from our first thought in a country of who's going to be the key pastor to one that, that will make it through this pathway and some that will drop off. And when they drop off, it's almost always at the limit stage. And who pays for that? That's where we put our missions budget. So the people that attend don't pay anything. They come ah, for free. Thank you. So our typical model is it depends on the country. If if you're if you are having us go to Australia, then hey, Australia, you're you're more rich than we are. You can pay for everything. But if we're going to, to Pakistan, we say we're gonna pay our flights over, we're gonna pay our food, our lodging. What we want you to do, Pastor in Pakistan. Can you provide the venue and can you provide food for the event? And pastor, it's, that's up to you if you want to charge the people. We actually would prefer that any participant that comes pays a little bit. We want, we want some skin in the game. You know, if that's $3, if it's 5 that, you know, uh, depending on the, the economy of the country, we'll reproduce the material or you will, depending on the economy. But they're going to get a packet and they're going to get some food. We want them to pay a little bit if possible. And there's some countries where, you know, where they can't even do that. You know, we work in Burundi and it's been amazing there. For a long time, Burundi was the second poorest country out of the 195 or however many are in the world. So does that answer the question? Yeah. But our, our missions, well, when we talk about how to make the shift, to discipleship focused mission, we'll dig into finances and budgets a lot more. All right. If you have other individual questions in that, um, you can come up afterwards. Again, uh, if you're able to make it back for the next session, it's at 11, and, and Jim will, um, I give him half the time, so he'll probably take at least three fourths, and he's, he's, he's worth listening to. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I want to remind you to check out our sponsors. You can look them up at betterman.com, churchteams.com, and occ.edu slash 
Masters. All right, up next, we got another track session from Real Life Ministries. This one will feature Jim Putman joining the conversation with Dave and Janelle. So make sure to be on the lookout for that one. All right, y'all, enjoy the rest of your day, and I hope to catch you on the next episode. See ya. See ya.